Merry Christmas. It uh, looks like it's not going to be a white one, but it's going to be a merry one. So again, great to see all of you this beautiful, crisp December morning. On this Sunday in particular, and during this season in general, we celebrate the arrival of God's Son into the world, uh, Jesus, who did not arrive by accident, but by design of his Heavenly Father. And he had an incredible plan when Christ came into the world, and we celebrate that at this time of the year. <clears throat> you see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His son entered into the world. And for we who put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, we are guaranteed that wonderful Christmas gift of eternal life in heaven. So what a gift that is. For those that are perhaps visiting for the first time, you'll be relieved to know that I am not the pastor. I am, however, honored to celebrate Christmas with you in this way. Our pastor originally was not planning to be here today. He was anticipating the arrival of a baby boy. Uh, we are anticipating arrival of another sense as well, and so great to uh, see Ademi and Caitlin still here. Uh, however, uh, that baby boy could be born during this worship service, or <laughs> perhaps tomorrow. Wouldn't it be neat if you were born on Christmas Day? Although I have from reliable sources heard that anyone that gets born on Christmas Day is cheated out of two sets of birth birthday and Christmas gifts. They only get one or the other, not both. And I asked Don Desmond if you're kind of curious about how that works, but... But as a church and as a denomination, we also at this time of the year uh, celebrate, emphasize the role that missionaries play around the world. And in that regards, we as a denomination do emphasize the giving to what's known as the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Sort of a strange name when you think about it, but Lottie Moon was a missionary to China. And every year, all churches of like kind, um, give you an opportunity to support missionaries financially wherever they may be serving. And so we take an active role in that regard. And to share a little bit more about how the Lottie Moon Christmas offering can make an impact, uh, there's a short video that I'd like to show at this time. So, Boyd. a very short video. No. You see it? No. Uh. We are IMB missionaries serving around the globe, both in church planning and in scripture translation for the deaf peoples. Right now we're in West Africa where we're working with five different sign languages, five different deaf people groups to emphasize church planning and scripture translation for these deaf peoples. We wanted to come to you today and say thank you, Southern Baptists, for the efforts to support us in prayer, for the gifts that you give, and for the other ways that you provide support for us every day of the year. And so we are grateful to you for all that you do. Thank you. That's a very short clip. 
but behind it is an incredible array of missionaries serving all around the globe, and they rely heavily on all churches donating whatever they can at this time of the year. We've also done our own part in the past by sending out mission teams from this church to various countries. We've also sent out individuals all around the world, and we have one such example of individuals here with us today. As we heard last week, Dan and Don and Kelsey Garlington are leaving here to go to Asia Minor, and we heard a little bit about their ministry last week. This week, we're going to ask them to come forward and light the Advent candle. I think it's only appropriate, as we emphasize international missions, that they come and participate in that particular meaningful uh, celebration. So Dan, Kelsey, and it looks like we have Louisa as well. Uh, don't let her touch the candles. Okay. Uh, so at this point... reading comes from Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said in Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Why did the Son of God come into the world? Have you ever considered that the purpose of the incarnation was to extinguish your fears? From the beginning, God's people have been hemmed in by enemies. Furthermore, God's people have against them a chief enemy who prowls like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Further still is the weapon of death that comes upon all. Further still is the judgment of a holy and righteous God because of our sins against him. Yet God seeks to expel all those fears by giving unto us his own son. When the angel Gabriel visited Mary, she became afraid. Zechariah responded in similar fashion when he too was visited by Gabriel. Yet in both visitations, God said to them, Do not be afraid. Having such enemies around us and having such fear overwhelm us, God the Son comes and through his incarnation says, Do not be afraid. Christ Jesus came from heaven to save us from our enemies and quiet our greatest fears by his love. At the cross, King Jesus took our judgment upon himself and through his resurrection defeated Satan and conquer death, and promise to subdue all his enemies and ours. During Christmas, let us reflect on the reality that Jesus Christ came to quiet our fears, our lesser and smaller fears, such as the fear of pain, the fear of man, the fear of the unknown, the fear of trial, are quieted by the expelling of the greater fears through the incarnation of Christ and his completed work. Dear saints, do not be afraid. Christ has come. Join me in praying. God, thank you um, that you have vanquished death, Lord, and that you uh, conquered our fears. Lord, that I pray that we would turn to you, Lord, when we are afraid, and remember your great sacrifice and what you've done for us. But God, thank you that this is who you are. 
You conquer death, conquer fear, Lord, and we can take our refuge in you. I pray you help us do that this Christmas season. And God, we thank you so much. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Um, this morning, I wanted to um, give us all uh, a little bit of heaven in terms of uh, how it will be when we, um, when we enter into heaven and know that there are many languages in heaven, right, as we all do. Um, and so today, I wanted to add a little Spanish into our first song, um, just in the chorus, don't get scared. Um, but this is, a, 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 it, it's still worship. And so um, it's, it's saying the same things as we do in English, just in Spanish. And so um, if you could just put the, uh, the chorus up in Spanish uh, so we can read through that. So the words say, venid y adoremos. And then at the last, the last line says, venid y adoremos a Cristo el Señor. It sounds like this. Venir y adoremos, venir y adoremos, venir y adoremos a Cristo el Señor. That's simple. So that'll be added on to the end. Just wanted to give you a heads up and not just throw it out there. Amen. Let's worship. adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord sing together oh come all ye faithful oh come all ye
and together, O oh, come.
verse. I want to read through that because I obviously messed up on that. Um, but it's it's a beautiful call as, as well to worship. Um, it says, Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven earth of naught. And with his blood mankind hath bought. Precious words. Um, I just wanted to really bring that back. Um, let's continue worship. Amen. Christmas angels love 
us. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. God, we worship you this morning and we come with songs of praise. And as we sing them, Father, my prayer is that we may understand the words that we are singing. Lord, that our hearts, our, our souls, our minds, our lives may shout songs of praise to you, for you are worthy of it. Lead us this morning, God, as we continue in celebration and honoring and magnifying Jesus May you speak to us, God, through your word. Bring us, Lord, to a place where it may even be in conviction, Lord, in certain ways. But lead us, Father, to your word. Open our eyes to understand, to receive your food, to be encouraged, to be edified. You're worthy of our praise, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. As we uh, continue in worship, and before we actually transition to uh, worship through the Word, um, uh, some of you know uh, that our sister, uh, sister and friend, uh, Reshma, is actually here with us, and so she is spending the holidays here, and uh, her plan is to uh, go back to Kentucky uh, spends uh, some time there, very brief time there before she transitions back home uh, to India to be there with her family. Uh, and then I believe in middle of March or maybe a little before that uh, transition to Abu Dhabi, which is her next assignment where she will be working there with a tra- a, an international church. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful ministry opportunity. Um, we have many nations uh, who are tribal to Abu Dhabi. Uh, for various different reasons, and in the church as well, it's also an international church. It presents a wonderful opportunity uh, to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard of Jesus before, um, and she'll be specifically uh, uh, working uh, with the pastors there and providing some kind of a, a biblical counseling uh, program or ministry there at the church. And so, uh, sadly, uh, this may be uh, the last time that we uh, get to see her here, at least for some of, uh, maybe for some of us uh, who will be able to, hopefully, Lord willing, travel to go and see her. Um, but wanted to take a time uh, to be able to pray with her while we have her here, uh, since it may be the last time that we can actually have her here, and for all of us to be able to pray together uh, for her. And so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask her to come up. And uh, we're just going to pray with her. And with that, I'm going to invite not only just the uh, elders, uh, deacons, if you can get away, but anyone, uh, if you know her, uh, and some of you know her, maybe not personally, but we've been praying with her all year long. If you have a prayer booklet as well, she's there in our prayer booklet as well with prayer requests, which we will continue to update. Uh, and so we're going to be praying for her, uh, for a dear sister and friend. And so if you're, if so if you, it's okay if you don't, you don't have to, uh, but we're inviting you, anyone who wants to come up just to lay hands, uh, to be able to pray with her together. So we're going to do that now. So I'm going to have you come up and put you in an awkward position uh, to stand uh, here. And then if you want, uh, please come. If not, I would ask you to just sort of uh, extend your hand over here. 
uh, to be able to, to, to pray uh, for our dear uh, sister as we, uh, as, we send her, as we send her off. And so uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for her, and then uh, we will transition to worship uh, through the word. Let us, let us pray. Lord, we are, we are actors in your divine theater. Lord, you orchestrate our lives according to the counsel of your will. You purpose all things for the good of those who love you. Father, we're so thankful that uh, many years ago that you have brought our dear friend and sister our way uh, to be part of uh, this church community, to have been able to, to know her, to have been blessed by her, to have her here and, and serving faithfully amongst your people. We're so thankful for the calling you have placed upon her life. And as hard as it was to be able to, to let her go as you, as you called her elsewhere uh, to pursue training and education for the call that you have placed upon her life, Lord, we, at the same time, we rejoiced and we celebrated and we continued uh, to pray for her. And we're thankful that we get this uh, short time to see her once again and to see her off. Father, you are a light unto her feet, and you are a guide unto her path. We pray, Father, that you may continue to orchestrate all the events and all her decisions according to the counsel of your will. We do pray and ask, God, that you may provide generously for all of her needs in Christ Jesus, that you may pour forth your incredible blessings upon her, that you make your face shine on her, Lord, and in the challenges and in the frustrations and the seasons of transition and as hard as they might be, Lord, that you might be her anchor, her refuge, her rock, that you might still the ground beneath her. We pray, Father, that you might fill her with your grace, that you would rain upon her your wisdom from above as she ministers and helps the church there in Abu Dhabi. We pray, Father, We pray that through her efforts and through her work, that you might bring about great fruit for your glorious purposes, Lord, and that she might personally see your great salvation, that you might use her as your precious instrument to proclaim the gospel, and that many might hear and receive and believe. We pray, Father, that you might continue to orchestrate and guide every single step that she takes, that you might open the right doors, that you might grant her favor with family, with those that she works with. Father, we look forward to all that you are going to do. And help us, Lord, to continue to besiege heaven on her behalf, bringing her before your, your throne. So you may continue to bless her. Father, we, we trust you for all these things. Lord, we, we know that she is in precious hands. And so we commit her to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, it is a joy and a privilege to be with you again this morning, especially Christmas, Christmas Eve, and I love those songs that we sing, Come, Let Us Adore Him, Born is the King of Israel, and uh, the, the Advent reading, especially as it talks about um, our fear being cast out as we have the peace of God. And so as, uh, as the Garlingtons were reading that, I was thinking, well, that's a, that's a great segue right into today's, today's sermon. Um, and I wanted to start with just a simple question. What, what is peace? We use it all the time. It's a very common word. But the Oxford Dictionary defines it as freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility or harmony and tranquility in the absence of hostility and violence. And I thought freedom was, a, was an interesting choice of words to include in that, in that definition, uh, freedom from disturbance, uh, tranquility. So what's the opposite of peace? We have worry, we have fear, we have hatred, we have discord and dissension and, and hostility and probably a slurry of other words that could be used as adjectives to describe what is a lack of peace. But I think Oxford is touching on something they may not have expected to from a biblical perspective. We're either free from sin and death and have that peace of Christ, or we're still in bondage, unfree, we're slaves to it. There is no middle ground here. We either have the everlasting peace from the Prince of Peace, namely Jesus Christ, or we're settling for some counterfeit cheap peace that wears out as quickly as it's, as it's sold to us. Now, we've all heard, especially in this season, the, the beckoning for our attention, um, the many Christmas advertisements or the songs, the cards, and the cheesy Hallmark movies. I mean, who could resist, right? Or the other you know, voices in the marketplace that just have been heralding. Peace, come, we have peace for you. Some of it sounds pretty close to Scripture. But today, as we go through our passage in Galatians 4, I, I want us to be reminded of what true peace is and in whom it resides. So today we're focusing on Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Um, if you're using the, the Bibles in the chair in front of you, it's on page uh, four, 974. And you know, it's, it's after the book of Corinthians and before the, the, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. So um, if you turn there, and as you're turning there, um, just hear that you know, these two verses, verses 4 and 5, Paul captures the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope for us all. So as we prepare our hearts today to celebrate Christmas tomorrow, really consider what is the awesome wonder of what it means that God himself, Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin and came to take away the sins of the world. As we're going through the passage, I want you to be thinking about what the realities and implications of this text mean for the peace in your heart. So, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. God, this is your word. It is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. 
It cuts to the heart. It cuts through bone and sinew. And it never returns void. You accomplish your purpose as God. And you use humble, broken vessels to preach your word. So Lord, fill my mouth with your words. I pray that we would grab hold of the hope that is you, Christ. That we would see afresh the work that you have accomplished on the cross and what you have done for us in the resurrection. And if it is the first time that we actually have ears to hear, and I pray that you would give each of us just that, ears to hear. May we be changed. May we be humbled. May we see you as you really are. The God who saves. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this, this phrase, when the fullness of time had come, is ripe with meaning and imagery. You can feel that tension that Paul is trying to communicate. Pros and cons of jumping right into the middle of a passage. So to help us to understand this contrast that Paul is using by mentioning the word but, let's take a, let's take a look back at verse 3 that comes right before this. He says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. It's an obscure description. Elementary principles, what, what do these mean? Well, they can be summed up as cause and effect type of thinking. So when we do good things, you know, we deserve to get good rewards, and the opposite holds true. If we do wrong, then we deserve the consequence that comes with it. You know, um, it's not bad. Obviously, we use that every day. And God has a place for it as well. But, but what Paul is getting at here is that when you look back at chapter 3 in Galatians, we see the law of Moses was given as a guardian to God's people to watch over us when we're still children. Now, people don't stay children forever, do they? Eventually grow up. And that was the same expectation here. The law's effect on our corrupt nature was that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, enslaved to that cause and effect type of thinking. And to say it a different way, because each of us is born into the world a sinner, because of the curse and our hearts are corrupt, we can't help but be in bondage under this cause and effect structure from the law. We can't help but sin in our flesh and weakness. None of us actively tries most of the time to do it. Like Sometimes it feels like we're out of control. It's just like, Paul, how can I, why do I do the thing that I don't want to do? I, help me. So that's the cause. The cause is that we're broken. We sin. But what's the effect? Well, we're unclean. We can't break free from it. It is this vicious cycle that continues to repeat. And there's always something impeding our ability to get right with God and be restored into fellowship with him. Now, Paul is telling the church that these elementary principles have run their course and they've been exhausted. They've been replaced with Christ and the free gift of God's grace so that we might be justified by faith. Now, because these are elementary principles, it is so hard for us to break free from this, to break free from that, that thinking that leads us back into believing we need to earn God's favor. But if we are to walk in the freedom of Christ, we need to remember what Paul is leading us into here, the good news of Christ and how he gives us this free gift of grace. So, but when the time was right, 
in God's in his redemptive plan, he sent forth his son. Just stop and think about that for a second. When the time was right, when the fullness of time had come, he sent forth his son. Consider the planning, the patience, the foreknowledge of God in this event. If you're if you come back this evening for tonight's service, we'll be digging into the minor prophet of Micah some 700 years before Christ and how the Lord was declaring even then again the redemptive plan of Christ as king. Who else would come up with an idea like this, a plan like this? Consider the wisdom that is in the counsel of God. The Lord knew what was in man's heart before he laid the foundation of the world. He wasn't surprised. He knew that no matter how many covenants he, man, he made with man, no matter how many times Israel said, I won't sin again, I'm yours, you are mine, because they were affected by the curse of sin, they could never keep their promises no matter how badly they wanted to. And we are the same. But he is faithful and he is writing the story so that he is known by his people and is doing it so that it will bring him the greatest glory. We might be tempted to ask, why now? Why did God choose this moment? Why was this when the fullness of time was reached? We're not, we're not given an answer to that. And I don't really think that that's the point that, we sh that should be demanding our attention from here. It's God in control and not us. It makes me think back to Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It is God writing the story of time and he is writing the most amazing story that will bring him the greatest glory. No one is like the Lord and faithfulness surrounds his throne. He is the most amazing being in the universe, the creator of all things. And he deserves all of our affections and praise. He is like that maestro in charge of his orchestra and the Lord controls the earth and the fullness therein. There is no instrument out of sync and there is no note that is played without his permitting. All of our plans, all the plans of man harmonize under the sovereign hand of the Almighty and to the beat of his purposeful providence. So when the fullness of time had come because he declared it to be, he sent forth his son with a very specific mission. And that mission declared from the angel Gabriel's mouth when he visited Joseph in a dream was she, Mary, in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place when the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So why did Jesus come? To save people from their sins, to call sinners to repentance and to redeem those under the law. But for what purpose? So that we might receive adoption and be given the right to be called children of God. 
But the ultimate purpose of all this is not pointed at us. We're the recipients of such a great blessing, but he is the aim of such a great blessing to receive the greatest glory. Glory that is the aim of his grace and mercy and kindness towards sinners. Glory that reaches its pinnacle and its climax at the cross of Jesus Christ. So that is how God redeemed his people through the cross. Redeemed them from what though? Redeemed them from their sin. We are sinners. Much to this world's dismay, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. God is very clear. We have sinned and offended a holy God. We are rebels. And the only way to heaven, the only way to have right relationship, the only way to have fellowship with God again is through faith in Jesus Christ. You're not going to hear that in too many popular Christmas songs. But that's the reason he came. That's the reason he was born. Come, let us adore him. The Savior of the world has been born in Israel. And Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's Peter and John in the council of the leaders in Acts 4. No other name by which we are to be saved. So outside of Christ, there, there is no redemption. There is no peace. Christianity is very exclusive in this, in this fact. There is one name. There is one way. It is through Christ alone. And there is no peace because we are still under the wrath of God outside of Christ. So contrary to what the world tells us every day, we don't get to dictate what truth is and what, what right or wrong is. We can't say, it's my truth. I declare my truth. That holds no weight in the house of God. But how inclined our flesh is to be self-deterministic. This is my way. But God has made it very clear that we need to have perfect righteousness to dwell in his presence. The law was put in place because of people's transgressions. It was that temporary guardian. But very quickly, it was clear that people could not keep it perfectly externally through acts and deeds, through keeping the ceremony and aspects of the law. And we also couldn't keep it internally. We couldn't, we couldn't keep the law in, in our hearts. Does that mean that something's wrong with God's standard? Certainly not. No. Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not one dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Talk about a high standard, right? How can we fulfill this? The law of the Old Testament is glorious and perfect as it reveals the holy character of the eternal God to the nation of Israel. And in its perfection, it reveals to humanity that 
No one can keep all its requirements. But everyone falls short of his standard, God's standard of holiness. And in it, in the law, God makes clear how he defines what is really right and wrong. And at the end of that passage, Jesus makes an incredible statement that really demands our attention. And it's crucial for how we are to understand the redemption he accomplished. Unless our righteousness is perfect, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So our righteousness is tied directly to the fulfillment of the law. Are we in right standing before God or not? The answer to that question is simple. Have you and I upheld every last dot and iota of the law? The answer is no. So we've sinned. We've done wrong. And we have rebelled against the king of the universe We have sinned and we stand. So when we stand before God to give an account, whether we are justified is based solely on our righteousness. If your righteousness is imperfect, Christ who is the judge will declare, depart from me. I did not know you. Paul tells us earlier in Galatians, in chapter two, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus came. He was born to fulfill the law and the prophets. What does that mean? He lived a perfect and spotless life, completely accomplishing all the righteous requirements of the law. And in his life was perfect righteousness. Some may ask, some do ask, why couldn't Jesus have just come down, died on the cross and forgiven our sins? Because if he did that, yes, if we believe in him, then we would be declared innocent. But we still wouldn't be allowed into God's presence. That wouldn't restore the fellowship Remember, in order to dwell with God, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, the most zealous rule keepers of the day. Innocence is not righteousness. We need to be innocent, but we also need righteousness. So in order for any of us to be allowed into heaven, we must have the perfect righteousness that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We must believe in him. How do we receive that that righteousness of Christ, though? Well, God has not left us wanting. He tells us in Romans 3, 21 through 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Hear that. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. The law can't save us. Our good works, those elementary principles can't save us. But God reveals a righteousness that will save us apart from the law. This is the essence of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a salvation that is offered apart from the law, apart from our own earning and deserving, apart from our own merits 
And it isn't that the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the Old Testament, but that it's revealed apart from the principle of the law. It's totally apart from a legal relationship to God. Based on the idea of earning and deserving merit before him. God's righteousness is not offered to us as something to pick up the slack between our ability to keep the law and God's perfect standard. It's not given to us to supplement our own righteousness. It's given completely apart from any of our attempted righteousness. It's a free gift. It's free. Which means that you don't earn it. You don't give anything to it. Earlier in Romans 3, Paul tells us how perfect righteousness doesn't, how it doesn't come, but it doesn't, it does come, it does not come through the deeds of the law or our good works. It's apart from the law. But here in that passage that we just read, Paul tells us how this saving righteousness does come. It's through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Distinction of words here, but words are super important. The righteousness of God is not ours by faith. It's ours through faith. We don't earn righteousness by our faith. We receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith points to the fact that faith isn't a merit earning salvation. And this is the only way we are to obtain that perfect righteousness. This is the only way we are to be redeemed. Jesus is the only way, for there is no distinction. I found this, uh, this quote from Charles Spurgeon that, you know, for this passage, and uh, he explains that this righteousness isn't earned through obedience to the law. It's a received righteousness gained through faith in Jesus Christ, and it helps illustrate um, playfully what, what Paul is getting at here. So uh, for, from Spurgeon, there's a little book entitled Every man his own lawyer. Well, nowadays, according to some people, it seems as if every man is to be his own savior. But if I had to say, if I had, say, a dozen gospels, and I had to sort them out and give the right gospel to the right man, what a fix I should be in. I believe that oftentimes I would be giving your gospel to someone else and someone else's gospel to you. And what a muddle it would all be. But now we have one universal cure, the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ will save every man who trusts in him. There is no distinction, whether Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. There is no distinction as to how righteousness is to be received. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Jesus Christ was born in the flesh, born of woman to live the perfect life we never could by fulfilling all the righteous requirements of the law. He offers redemption to us by being the perfect sacrifice, that spotless lamb for our sins, taking on the full wrath of God the just penalty due our sins. And he gives us his righteousness. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. Praise God. Praise the Lord. 
We are free, and what a relief that is. We're no longer bound by the yoke of slavery to our sin, but we are free. Our sins are forgiven. Praise God. And we are now slaves to righteousness. And what a glorious position that is to be in. We're no longer dead in our trespasses, but we have been made alive to Christ. We are captives to the greatest captain who ever was and who is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. We no longer reside in the domain of darkness, but we have been delivered and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. We're no longer captives, but we are captivated by the beauty and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. We are no longer children of the father of lies, but we have received adoption and been given the right to be called children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ to be brought from rags to riches for the praise of his glorious grace. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I love the description that Paul gives in Ephesians 2 as he's describing who we once were before Christ and who we are and what he has done in order to make it so. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, have there ever been two more powerful words? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast, but may we boast only in Christ Jesus. All of these promises have their yes in Christ. And each one of them is a reality for those who trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Each one of those is for the person who has confessed with their mouth that Christ is Lord and believed in their hearts that God raised him from the dead Each of those promises is true for those who have repented of their sins and believed in Christ. It is no doubt that Jesus accomplished his mission to save his people from their sins, to redeem them. And our text today in Galatians 4 today points to the heart of the gospel, the good news, the greatest news of all the universe. Forget the headlines of the day or the year. There are many, but none competes with this great news. Born 
in Bethlehem is our king. So the obvious next question in all this has to be, so what? What does this mean for my life? Why should I care? Why should I care about this? What should I, what should I do with this? If this is all true, which it absolutely is, and I am happy to chat after to go through the mountain of evidence and experiences and testimonies that we have, the reliability of the scriptures that compel the truth after this. If this is all true, it demands a response. You can't do nothing. Well, you can do nothing, but that in and of itself is a response. You must respond. It will either be in submission and humility toward Christ, or it will be a hardening of the heart. For those in Christ, you have responded to him with trust and humility, casting yourselves at the feet of the king, pleading for and receiving his mercy. Continue to cast yourself upon him. Seek and savor Christ. Behold the wonders of his testimony and draw near to him by feasting on his word and let that feast fuel you to your knees in prayer. Capture specific promises from the word. Treasure those things up in your heart. Make a great melody in your heart. And let thanksgiving flow continually within you as an offering to the Lord. How great is the grace of God that he died for us knowing how unworthy we were even when we were dead in our trespasses. We are unworthy. We were unworthy. We will be unworthy. He looks upon us and smiles as a father enjoys his children no matter the number of their mistakes or how great they may be. Somewhat recently, my son can, comes up to me and uh, usually after something happens and says, Daddy, do you still love me? Of course I do. Nothing will ever change the love that I have for you. And our Father in Heaven is the same way. He looks upon us and smiles as a father enjoys his children. You are the apple of his eye because Christ is so magnificent. His grace and his mercy always outpace our sins. The most common ways for the Lord to conform us and to make us more into his image and likeness because that is what we are being restored and redeemed into proper image bearers of God is by the study of his word. To the med meditation of his word, praying through his word for his people, for his grace in your, in your life, and by gathering and participating in the church. I know that that's not new for many of you. Continue. Continue in those things. They are important spiritual disciplines. Continue to pursue them. And, and as you do, you will continue to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. And as did the early church, devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to fellowship. And whether there are highs or lows, great joys or great sorrows and disappointments, struggles as there will be, rest in and praise God for the cross of Christ. We're not told 
when we can be thankful. We're told to be thankful. Regardless of situation or circumstance, be thankful. I find that hard to do sometimes. But he doesn't give us a command that is impossible to do. We can do that through Christ because of the hope that we have in the gospel. So as a reminder, I received a few years back that has, uh, has really grounded me in stormy seasons was you never move past the cross. You never become more learned to move past the cross. In fact, when we become more learned, as our, as our knowledge in God deepens, as our spiritual wisdom and understanding grows, as we study his word, we rejoice more fully and we cling to him more desperately. We are to be a desperate people, but his hands are strong and big enough to hold us fast. We are saved. We were saved. We will be saved. Praise God. I want you to think back with me to the Garden of Eden, back to Adam and Eve as they were banished from the garden and from the presence and fellowship with God because of their sin. That fellowship was broken and they could no longer walk with God as they did. An angel and a a cherub was placed at the entrance of the garden with a flaming sword to guard anyone from entering again, to guard them from the tree of life. Sadness and death at that moment entered into the world. And ever since then, we have been trying to regain that same fellowship with God. Our inward being, each of us knows in our heart of hearts that there must be more to this life than just these trivial distractions that disappear as quick as the smoke does, entertain us for a moment, and then we're left alone again. He is who we were made for. God is who you were made for. There's an answer to that question. Why, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? He is the purpose of your life. To magnify Christ. To be enthralled with love for God. And it is only in that enthralling love that our hearts are truly satisfied. Our hearts are like ovens that were made to burn with the fire of Christ. But since the fall in the garden, these ovens are cold and misused. The law was given for us to see we could never earn our way back and earn our way back to complete fellowship with him. In fact, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the other elements of the old covenant, they're a shadow of the good things that are coming. They're not the reality themselves. They are those elementary principles. That's what Hebrews 10 tells us. The tabernacle and temple were holy places made with hands, but they were never meant to be permanent. They are a copy of the true things. Under the law, the oven of our hearts was warmed and cooled. We sinned and we were forgiven. And the Lord dwelt in the temple amongst his people. But we could only come into his presence through the priests, and that was on special occasions. But look at Christ and what he has done. He has torn the veil. And instead of us returning back to the garden, it's God who has entered. He has come out of the holy holies, holy of holies. And he has come to dwell among us. 
The Spirit of God has come to dwell in our hearts, and now we burn with love for God. We have been restored, and we love because He first loved us. May we be enthralled, truly enthralled and taken, wholly taken by Christ. Consider, think back, consider what it was like the first time you loved someone, you were smitten over someone. You could think of nothing else. Everything else became dim. Everything else was cloudy. You, you had no focus. You were out of focus. You were, all you could think about was that person and how captivated you were with that person. May we be that same way. May we be so taken with affection and adoration for our first love, Christ. And so as we wait with great hope and expectation of his coming again or until he calls us home, we look forward to when these broken ovens will be perfected in all of eternity where we dwell with God face to face. And we sing a song without the shadow of sin hanging over our head. But we sing in the bright light of the face of Christ our Lord. May God hasten that day. But until it comes, may he fan the flames of our heart to burn hotter and brighter and more true for his great glory and for our complete and unwavering satisfaction in him. Amen. But maybe today you're here and you're not a Christian. Perhaps you've never considered yourself to be one. Perhaps you would have professed faith once upon a time, but for whatever reason, you've moved away. Well, I really am thankful that you are here today. There's, I can't change you. I'm not trying to change you. There's no way I can change you. I don't have that hubris, thank God, because I couldn't change myself. But it was only by the grace of God that I became convinced of the reliability of the scripture and how much I needed Christ. We need to change. Just as Paul, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, we must be born again. So I'm glad that you are here so that you might consider once again the gospel, the good news of Jesus and how he came to save his people from their sins. Gospel simply means good news. And it is just that. And I ask you as well to think to yourself and ask yourself, who is Jesus? Who is he really? Do I see my sin? Do I believe that I'm a sinner? Do I want to be free from my sins and have them forgiven in Christ? I can tell you from my own personal experience and from that of many others, when you trust in Christ and you give your life to him, you surrender, there is a peace and a freedom far beyond anything else this world could offer. He's absolutely the best. He really is. And he shows the great care that he has for you and that what's best for him is actually what's best for you. So as we close, I want to ask you the same question that I posed in the beginning. What does all this mean for the peace in your heart? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son 
born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Maybe you're traveling, came in overnight. Maybe you're hosting this weekend for Christmas. Your house might be full and it might be chaotic. Perhaps it's a quieter Christmas for you this year. However this season looks for you, remember to draw near to the Prince of Peace and remember the gospel. One of Paul's main main points in the letter to the Galatians was that they had forgotten the true gospel. Our true and everlasting peace of God is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we ground ourselves in scripture and meditate on the grandeur of God, being captivated by the beauty and worth of Christ, treasuring up and contemplating the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the implications of the resurrections. May our hearts overflow with joy where we cannot stay quiet. May our captivation with Christ drown out all the clanging distractions of the world. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is promised to the follower of Christ when we hand our cares and our worries, all of our promise, all of our problems over to Jesus. He wants all of you. Hear that. He wants all of you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He wants the messy parts of our lives too. And you know what happens when we bring our hearts before him? The Spirit reminds us of the great grace of God we have through faith in Jesus Christ. He reminds us of his might and his power and his sovereignty. He is the Lord. And he has shown himself to be faithful. He reminds us of the truth and he can take care of all of the cares of our heart. So let let them not rob us of our joy and peace in God. Let our troubles and our cares not rob us of the joy and peace of God. So this afternoon, consider the peace of God in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we are unworthy. But while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, you died for us. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And you, Jesus, were born specifically to take away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for dying the death that we deserve to die, for living the life that we could never live, for being the perfect sacrifice, for being our high priest, to make atonement for our sins, for being perfect. You did everything for us. There is nothing left for us to do, so may we rest in you, God. May we make a joyful noise because it is you, Christ, who is the Lord and our majestic Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Amen. Church, um, in response to today's message, let us stand and worship, sing one more time as a body. Amen. Praise God.
Father, may we fall at your feet, casting all of our sins, our failures, our doubts, our inconsistencies, all anxieties, all worries. May we cast them all at the cross of Christ. God, may we surrender all to you. 
Lord, you have graciously offered your one and only Son You offered him, Lord, as a complete and full and sinless sacrifice for the world. Father, there is nothing that we can do or could have done to save ourselves. But you instead, but God, as we heard today, you have redeemed us, Father. You have saved us. Lord, in this season, many people Are, are drawn to Christmas. Whatever that may mean to them. But Father, I pray that in this season, in this time, that the full and true understanding of Christmas may be experienced and understood and known throughout the world, God. Father, that Christ may be placed on display in terms of understanding and knowing what Christmas is all about. And so with that, Father, I pray that we may celebrate, that we may celebrate and honor our King. Behold your King, church. May we boast only in your righteousness, Father, through the cross of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. You're worthy of our praise, God. Thank you for our time this morning. May we glorify God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, uh, Romans 5.1. There was a lot of Romans today. It's a great book. Um, and uh, the Word of God says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Merry Christmas.